Good morning, E3. How are you? Glad you guys are with us this morning. My name is Dan Meyer, in case you don't know me. And uh, today we're going to be talking about toxic calendar. Woohoo! Yeah. Scary stuff, right? Yeah. Calendar, the way we spend our days. Came across a quote recently that said, very simply, the way that we spend our days is the way that we spend our lives. The way that we spend our days is the way that we spend our lives. Looking back, seeing the things that we've missed, I don't believe that God intends, has planned for us, or wants us to have a life that is filled with regret. And the only way to move past the trap of regret is to find some singular purpose, to find some intentionality, as we talk about here, that, that moves us past the things that we just want and things that we just feel, be, be, beyond the things that other people have planned for us to do, right? We've got to-do lists, and we have, then we have have-to-do lists. We have want-to-do lists and love-to-do lists. And in the midst of all of this, we need to find ways to spend our time that is honoring to ourselves, honoring to the people that we're in relationship with, and honoring to God first and foremost. Sometimes these conversations are a little bit scary, you know, as we go into them. And looking at this series of toxin, what we're trying to do is, is identify toxicity in our lives and not just judge it, not just call it out, not just say, ooh, that's ugly, which, I mean, hey, humans, we love to do that, right? Look at how bad they are, right? We hate it when people do that to us. There's a tendency to be busybodies sometimes about other people's business instead of about God's business or about the business that he's called us to, drawing closer to him. So in the midst of this, our, our, our job, our, the, the whole purpose behind toxin and, and looking at these areas is to be able to say, where is redemption? Where can we not settle for mediocrity and the status quo, but where can we move forward to God's design, loving God, loving people? Now, sometimes we, we think we know what these conversations are going to be, you know, oh, toxic silence, toxic friends, toxic family. I bet there's people in our, in our community that, that they, they heard what that topic was going to be and some of them chose not to show up on that particular week, right? I bet there's t people today, they're like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be here. Maybe I should have slept in. I don't know. Maybe it's a dangerous conversation. And sometimes we feel that way. We can fear these conversations. We can steel ourselves against them. We can, we can pull up our hoodie and kind of cuddle in, you know. We can, we can cross our arms, cross our legs. We can kind of brace ourselves for the hit. But I believe wholeheartedly that if we knew the touch of our lover, if we would, if we would know the, the passionate heart of Jesus, not to wound us, but to heal us. We would see the silliness of bracing ourselves against his wisdom, against his instruction, against his call. If we really knew the touch of our lover, we would, we would know that we had nothing to hide, that everything lays out bare before him. 
There's no such thing as a secret to God. And in the midst of that, he's still right here with us. He's as gentle as he can be with us and with our sin. So gentle, in fact, that, that he bore himself the brunt of it. Not letting us take the full weight of it, lest it crush us and kill us and destroy us. He's merciful, and his correction in and of itself is even a grace in action. For those that he chastens, those that he disciplines, those that he corrects are the ones that he loves. This morning, I would like to start just with a confession. You know, God calls us the, if you're his, if you're, his, if you're a part of his people, if you are a follower of Christ, seeking to be that fully devoted servant, sacrifice to God. And what he calls us is a, is a family of priests, a royal priesthood, a chosen nation, wholly set apart. And so I confess to you priests that I am not great at this thing called calendar <laughs> and this thing called time management. In fact, I have a tendency, I have a bent to respond to urgency. I like problems. I like to solve them. I like to show up and I like to save the day. Maybe some of you experience that. I, uh, I find myself often reacting to my life in that state of urgency, just kind of when things feel out of control, I react instead of really having an intentional response. It can be a problem. When my emotions react, I don't often have the most godly response. Maybe that's true for you as well. I've faced addiction. I faced those places in my life that I looked forward to satisfying some internal craving ungodly as part of my, my daily life. I've heard Pastor Mark call that calendar sin. Might as well just put it in that Google calendar. Here it goes, you know. From 10 p.m. to 1 a.m., I'm going to look at pornography. Just put it in there. You know? from, uh, from 4 p.m. To, to 6 p.m., I'm going to worship my body at the gym. You know? Now, some of these things are not intrinsically evil, so we're going to talk about them. It can actually be really good. But if the point of our health is self-preservation, then it's idolatry, and it's toxic. And the things that can be put into our days that can have the beautiful expression of faith can also have the destructive expression of being focused completely on self. And so it gets tricky. I tell people sometimes I hate sleeping. Like, I hate sleeping. I, I want to be awake. I bought a little band. The battery's dead, so it, I got to charge it up today. But I bought this little band to help me monitor my sleep. Because I, I, I hate sleeping. I just want to be awake. And I, and I want to be doing things, and I want to be active. And in the midst of that, I find myself in this constant state of being sleep-deprived. And I know I'm not the only one. <laughs> We're suffering in this country from sleep deprivation. And sometimes it shows itself in funny ways. I remember as a child it showed itself. One morning my mom came to me and said, Dan, um, did you pee in the trash can? Oh, no. 
said, that is this, that's just silly, Mom. Why in the world would I be in the trash can? I think I was maybe 11. And she's like, well, because there's pee in the trash can, <laughs> and it would be exceptionally hard for one of the females in this house to accomplish that task so efficiently and effectively. So that just leaves you. My dad and my mom had their own room, so it was either me or my two younger sisters, and she narrowed it down to me somewhere in my sleepwalking that previous evening, not being quite in my right mind, I had decided I was going to water the tissues and papers and whatever else was, was there. Sometimes it's silly, and then sometimes it's not so silly. And we struggle to put thoughts together. Or if we've ever said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm just tired. If you've ever said that in some kind of frustration, it's toxic. It is destroying our lives, the fabric of our relationships, our very physiology. They're linking step, sleep deprivation to all kinds of crazy diseases. And yet we, we pride ourselves sometimes in not getting enough sleep. I can function off six hours. And yet if we pay close attention to the things going on in our lives, we'll see maybe we're not functioning quite as well as we should or as we could. We thrive in being busy. It's like a badge of honor to say that I didn't have time for something because I was so busy doing all of these other things. And if we limit ourselves in that way, limit by experiencing God, not experiencing God in our busyness. And I think that we'll find that life is going to begin to lose meaning. I've been a workaholic. <laughs> I've been focused on, on, on what I produced and simply finding my identity in those things. It's toxic. So as we go to God's Word, we're going to look at Psalm 90. And just kind of dive in. Um, there are some words of wisdom and some words of, of instruction for us. We know that this toxicity is part of, of our lives. It's, it's part of the nature. It's part of the brokenness that always needs fixing, right? It's part of the, the running toilets or the running noses, the things that demand our attention. Maybe it's the voice in your head that tells you that you're, that you're not enough or the voice of your boss that telling, telling you that it, you're not doing enough. All of these kinds of things in the midst of roles and responsibilities that need to be managed, in the midst of juggling the to-dos and the, and the must-dos, trying to make time for the, for the love-to-dos and want-to-dos. I think we need to ask ourselves really a very simple question. What is a day for? What is a day for? And some of us, we immediately, you know, we just kind of go down this, well, what day, Dan? I mean, are you talking about weekdays or weekends? What day? Work days or play days? What, what days? What days are we talking? Are we talking about vacation? Are we talking about our 20s or our 30s or our 40s, 50s or 60s? Are we talking about our 70s? Are we talking about retirement? What days? What is the point what are we talking about? 
And that monolithic question that we get trapped in sometimes, you know, what is the meaning of life? Sometimes it's so much simpler to just say, what is a day for? What is today for? What is tomorrow for? Oh, wait a second. You don't know that you have tomorrow. I don't know that I have tomorrow. I make a plan for, for, for the end of the week. I make a plan for the next year. I'm going to go to this place. I'm going to go to that place. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to visit here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to experience that. I'm going to build this. And sometimes we leave God completely out of those conversations. And James tells us what we should say is, if the Lord wills. And maybe that's a, simply, a simple way for us to kind of begin processing what is a day. Time management is about doing the right things. Time management is about doing the right things, using our time on purpose and with wisdom. Sometimes we use time management to accomplish a lot of things. But if we're not using time management to do the right things, then what we're using time management for is to do the wrong things faster. <laughs> that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us, does it? But yeah, we can feel a sense of accomplishment out of that. Time management is about doing the right things. Sometimes we ask that question, you know, where do I find that I'm wasting time? Where do I find that I'm, that I'm tired or that I'm bored? Where do I find that, um, that I have apathy? Where do I have distractions? And if we ask ourselves, what is the purpose of the day? Sometimes we just need to clarify that a little bit. What is, what is one purpose that can guide the passions and the desires and the demands of our life? What is a filter that will begin to separate the grind of life and give us pure refreshment? What is the purpose, the meaning, the goal. Now when we jump into Psalm 90 here, I'll give you just a little bit of, a, of, a, of context here. This is, this is a psalm written by Moses. It's the only psalm written by Moses. Sometimes people challenge its authorship. In the midst of this, I like to picture Moses kind of I don't really know the time scale. I don't know where, it's, where it is. We get, a, we get a clue kind of in the middle as he's talking about the brevity of life and people living to 70 or living to 80. So he's probably not that old. He lived to be 120 years old. So, so maybe he's in that midlife. Maybe he's, he's there in that, in that 50-something where, where they've just walked out of Egypt. He's just experienced the faithfulness of, of God and they're maybe in this, in this wandering phase of life there through the desert. This is kind of where I like to, to see him picture. And, and some of that is because, because it, the first half of this psalm is incredibly pessimistic. If you have that bent, you're just going to go, Amen, Moses. <laughs> so as we dive into it, um, I want you to feel some of the weight of it before we get to the end here. Prayer of Moses. This whole psalm is just a prayer. Psalm 90. Lord, through all the generations, you have been our home. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to the, to the end, you are God. 
you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals, for you a thousand years are as a passing day, as brief as a few hours in the night. You sweep people away like dreams that disappear. They are like grass that springs up in the morning. In the morning it blooms and flourishes, but by evening it is dry and withered. We wither beneath your anger. We're overwhelmed by your fury. You spread out our sins before you, our secret sins, and you see them all. We live our lives beneath your wrath, ending our years with a groan. Seventy years are given to us. Some even live to 80, but even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we fly away. Who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is as awesome as the fear you deserve. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Another translation says, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We just flip back to verse 1, though, for, that, for just that moment there where, where Moses just kind of starts out and says, Lord, through all the generations you have been our home. Kind of echoes Jesus' words in my ears in, in John chapter 15 where over and over again he uses this word, abide, to dwell, to remain, to stay, to live with. And he says in John 15, he says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches, and those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now this idea of dwelling, this idea of, of staying with God, sometimes we have this picture of our lives, this life that we're growing, this life that we're creating, this life that we're building. And as we begin to grow and as we begin to express ourselves, we just go, man, look at me. I am great. Look at what I'm doing. You know, and then like, here, look at this side. And God's like, you know what, you're, you're a little lopsided. Actually, you're, you're a little stunted <laughs> over here. You, you're, you're, yeah, maybe you, you think you're doing well over there, and maybe, maybe some of this is good. Maybe some of this is, is godly, and, and God's like, you know what? I, I want to I help you grow. I want to I give you some wisdom. There, here's, some, here's some things that I need to do, the, the tender touch of the lover. I need to, I need to just come in. I need to, to trim this away. There's no leaves here. You're playing too much Clash of Clans. You're building your own kingdom and not, and not mine. You need, to, you need to just kind of let that go. Maybe it's a time management thing. Maybe as, as the lover is, is sculpting and diving in and going, oh, wait a second, here, here's, here's just a few leaves. They need to be trimmed. They've been eaten away. I need to trim them I need to, to make you whole. I need, to, I need to dive in here. There's some secrets here that I need to expose. There's some things that you've covered up with some beautiful foliage. And as I dive deeper in here, I realize that it's dark in here and we need to make room for some light. So we need to trim away some of these pieces to be able to let some more light down into your heart. 
And the tender touch of the lover puts his hands and molds us and shapes us and moves us. But sometimes this is what we see coming. We hear that sound. I don't want anything to do with that, God. We're worried that the, we're going to lose large pieces of our, of our foliage, of our covering. They're going to become naked. They're going to become exposed. Oh, wait a second. I'm not sure if I can handle cutting back a little bit from work. My boss might think that, that I'm not a hard worker. I need to be the first one in and the last one out, and my, and my family may pay the cost. That is a cost that I'm going to have to find acceptable. Maybe some of us, we, we think that what God is going to do is just going to go straight for the core of us. He's just going to reach in with these loppers grab a hold of our core identity and destroy huge pieces of us. But the reality is, is that the lover knows better. He's a skilled arborist. He knows those things that will crush us and those things that will kill us and he knows the things that need to be trimmed. And let me tell you that there is grace for this journey. Because even if this, this huge lopsidedness is an aberration from the will of God, in time, he will trim that. In time, he will pull out the loppers and he will say, you no longer need this to hold you up. Because now I will become your strength. Some of us aren't there. Some of us aren't ready to suffer in that way to be crucified in that way, to let God really have all of us. But that is what he wants and that is what he deserves, nothing less. If we really talk about numbering our days, what we're talking about is, is health and what we're talking about is, is stewardship. Psychologically, like mentally and emotionally, the things that we feel, if, if you don't have time in your schedule to take care of your emotional health, you're suffering and you're causing other people to suffer. You're in pain and you're going to cause other people pain. If you don't have time to find out what it means to eat right, then you're going to suffer a quality of life. You're going to experience less than God has planned for you. And some of us think that we're just at the whim and at the mercy of our genes. And I think there's a lot of science that tells us otherwise. I think there's a lot of wisdom out there that would tell you that, that you can create some physical health. But it takes some discipline. It takes some learning. It takes spending some time away from fast food in order to be able to really put the things into your body that it needs. And first and foremost, our, our health and our stewardship is intrinsically spiritual. It's intrinsically spiritual. Our, our life, our real health flows out of 
the passion and the desire, the love for life that comes from the love of our creator. God loves life. He loves life. That's why he gifted it to you. That's why he gave you the gift of life. And then I, but I bet every single one of us have in this room has sat at some point, looked in the mirror or said out loud and just said, I hate life. I never wanted to be born. Maybe you even said to your parents, you know, I didn't ask for this life. I don't, why did you have me? Some of us have been told that our life was a mistake. And you've listened to that lie. And it's bred toxicity into you. And that's exactly what it is. It's a lie. You're no mistake. The glorious God formed you in, as a thought in his mind and brought you into life, gifted you with the opportunity to know him. That is who he is. Well, Moses continues in Psalm 90 as he talks about that brevity of life and teaching us to realize and grow in wisdom. In the midst of this, as we kind of look at, at, at where he's going and where this passion is coming from in this conversation with God and this prayer, we realize that this desire of the psalmist for wisdom, for God to come and dwell with them, to be the home of his people, comes from an intimacy with God. It comes with the, with the truth that he knows he is known. And out of that intimacy, he can be completely honest. There's nothing hidden. It's in the experience of God, seeing God's faithfulness. And Jesus' words echo that. Remain in me, apart from me you can do nothing. We want our lives to have meaning. We want our lives to count. And that is a godly desire. There's nothing wrong with the dissatisfaction of saying my life is not enough. How we answer that is the really important part. Now, sometimes it's helpful for us to kind of jump to the end. Whether it's 60 years or 70 years or 80 or 100 years, however long that you walk the earth. When, when people are in their dying days, here in America anyway, Here's a list of their top five regrets. What do you think number one is? Family, not a time of family. Okay. What's another one you think is on there? Didn't accomplish their dreams? Yeah. Any other ideas? I heard a whisper. Okay. Didn't, didn't forgive others. Unres unreconciled relationships. Yeah, absolutely. It's good for us to think about these things. It's good for us to, to spend the time. You know, we can Google it like I did. Right? I mean, you can just Google it. You can just read it. There's something different that happens when you think about what do I regret in my life? What am I doing right now on a day-to-day -day basis that is causing toxicity, that is going to set me up for a regretful experience at the end of my life as I look back? 
in the hindsight, uh, in the 2020 vision of hindsight, you know, having those moments. Well, guess what? You can have hindsight now. There are already patterns emerging in your behavior. And if you can't see them, believe me, the people that are close to you, they know them. And if you will be brave enough to ask them, and if they will be bold enough to share, you will both get some intimacy and some love and some wisdom. Top five regrets. I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Number one, most common answer, I lived someone else's life. I lived up to other people's expectations. And I, as a follower of Christ, would change that, those words ever so slightly. Instead of saying, live a life true to myself, I would say, live a life true to the way God designed me because I believe that he designed Dan Meyer to accomplish something particular and it is different than what he has called other people by the, by the position or by the title of pastor to be and to do. I cannot or, and I'm not supposed to be Mark McNeese or Eric Case or Lori Green. And if no one is being you, you will never be done. And you will never experience the beauty of how God created you to be, to live and to move and to breathe. I wish I hadn't worked so hard, number two. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. <laughs> how many hours do you put into your work? How do you define your work? What are you getting out of that? I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Just the ability to be authentic, as we would say around here. And the interesting thing about that one is many of these people that were lying in their deathbeds and expressing this regret, science has now shown that the very illness that was killing them was the suffering of them not expressing their feelings. Wow. God tells us out of the issues of, of the issues of life flow out of our hearts. We can't think that we can ignore these things on a daily basis and end up healthy, even if you can bench press 200 pounds. I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends, building relationships. I wish that I'd let myself be happier. I wish I'd let myself be happier. The power of hindsight that says happiness is a choice, not a circumstance. Wow, there's some revelation for us, huh? But in the toxicity of our lives, so often we, we play the blame game. Well, they showed up and they had a bad attitude, so I had to have one too. Things just didn't go my way. Instead of the choice the power and so walking moving forward we have to we have to find this way to kind of express this and and Moses lays out beautifully for us as we close here in in Psalm 90 this cry now I challenge you this week not just to hear these words today but to but to take these words and to say can I cry this can I pray this can I exclaim this is what he says Oh Lord, come back to us, exclamation point. 
How long will you delay? Take pity on your servants. Satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love. We long for humans to do this for us. But the psalmist correctly interprets life that this can only be satisfied by God. Being in the arms of your lover is a wonderful thing. Being in the arms of your capital L lover is the best thing. He keeps going. Satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love so we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. If you could just meditate on that first, if you could just understand its power, that this is a continual and daily work that will reverberate for your whole life. Give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. Replace the evil years with good. Let us, your servants, see you work again. Let our children see your glory. And may the Lord our God show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. I love that cry. I love that grabbing life by the horns gusto. But not just in some self-motivated, I can do it, you can do it, we're good enough kind of attitude. No, in just the truth that like, as we live with God, as we cry out to God, God, you will bless. You will overflow out of our love with you and for you. And it will bring joy. It will bring happiness. I don't know what causes toxicity in your life. Maybe some of the things that I confessed resonated with you. But I would encourage you to answer those two questions this week. What is the purpose of a day? And what causes toxicity in your life? People have answered these questions throughout the years. The, the Westminster Confession, the, the Westminster Catechism says that, that the, the chief end of man, the purpose of man, the, the purpose of life, the purpose of a day is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Echoing those very words of Psalm 90. Maybe you have your own definition but I would say that in the midst of this, the ways that I've found life are experiencing God on a daily basis, learning to be fully present with the people around me. So that means when, I, when I'm hanging out with my friends, I'm not searching for other friends on a pixelated screen. I'm being fully present. When I'm at my dining room table, I'm not thinking about my work day or what I have to accomplish that night or the next episode of my favorite thing on Netflix. But I'm investing in my wife and my three kids and building those relationships, loving them, being fully present, Learning to give the gift that when you're sitting across the coffee table from another person and having a conversation, that they are the most important person in the world at that moment, being fully present, giving them the gift of relationship. In the midst of that also, to have a working memory, to daily be building the story of God's faithfulness in my life, 
to see where he's showing up, to be looking for where he's active in the world, knowing that there is not a single place that I can go, that God is not already there, drawing people to himself. A working memory, an awareness of the presence of God. And as I do these things, toxicity decreases. And wisdom grows. And love and joy and hope burst forth. Otherwise, Toxicity slowly poisons and drains and ultimately kills. What causes your toxicity? Naivety, a lack of vision, an inability to take ownership of your life, being a perpetual victim? Are you distracted by the drama of other people? Are you stalking them? feeding off of their drama instead of praying for them and encouraging them to outbursts of good deeds. The way we live our days is the way that we will live our lives. Let's pray. 